Today's episode is brought to you by the Usher Cup World Club Challenge, about to kick off on the 19th of January through to Sunday, the 22nd of Jan. It's going to be skits, $7,000 for first prize, male and female equal prize money with competitors from Australia, New Zealand, America, France, Japan, Indo, Hawaii. The first of its kind. It's going to be so mental, held up there at Snapper Rocks, hosted by the Snapper Rocks Board Riders Club. Holy smokes, it's a skits event. We were there commentating last year. We'll be there again commentating this year. Cannot wait for it to kick off. Get on up there. Jump on the Usher Cup website, ushercup.com. Have a sus. It's a full-blown stonker of a surf contest. Even better, the event has a massive charitable push. It supports a lot of people and charity networks in need up there around the Gold Coast and Queensland and New South Wales. It's, it's an incredible event. Uh, Theo, the guy who puts it on, is a fucking icon, and uh, we're frothing to be a part of it. And don't forget the surfing, like, holy smokes, last year was Skits, Nathan Hedge, Sheldon Simkus, Dexter Muskins, like the full underground core lords from the zone and elsewhere, now broadened uh, to include the global field. I'm sure there's going to be some high-end surfers coming in from Indo, from the Padma Beach boys and uh, elsewhere on the planet. Super psyched to be a part of it. Tap in. Yes, Swellians, welcome to another episode of Call Lords. This week's guest is Simon Jones, the grand wizard behind Morning of the Earth surfboards based up here in the Northern Rivers. Uh, Simon is one of my oldest friends, and uh, more than a friend, really, kind of like a a father figure, an an uncle, um, a relative. He's been part of the uh, woodwork in my life since before I can even remember and uh, to see what he's gone on to achieve with all the goodwill and uh, positivity uh, that he's done it with it's been incredible incredible and uh, you know to see him link up with Torrin Martin and Albie Falzon and uh, you know just kind of create this fresh thrust of just core semi spiro but high performance tube piggery fuck it's good it's great so uh enjoy this i did uh simon jones ain't that swell presents chords <laughs> Jedim. Welcome uh, to Ain't That Swell. Long time listener, first time guest. Yep, that's me. I reckon you'd be one of our original listeners. I reckon like right from the get-go you'll give me feedback on the podcast. <laughs> you must have been there for f- right around episode one. Yeah, I Do think Do you remember I episode was. one? Oh, I can't remember what it was. Was he right? Uh, oh. It was like a kind of, yeah. Bit of a journey, musical jamboree through his life. Yeah, and he spoke about his dad and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, the yellow house down there in the cross. You might have, and you would have had overlap with uh, his family, I'm sure, on the North Beaches back in the day. It's all like that kind of crew, right? Like maybe you're a little bit younger than his dad. I'm not sure. Rick Wright. I'm 58. Who was his dad's crew like? they were kind of more narrowing. I was That's right. quite manly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Peter Crawford, 
Yeah, I knew Peter. Yeah. Not real well, but I did. He was a character. Yeah. Crazy. And uh, interesting too, I remember obviously we go a long way back. I mean, our listeners might not understand this, but uh, my mother was very close with you and Bess. Yeah, I met you when you were one day old. And I remember going to the fridge. I had to go to the fridge and it was at that house in D.Y. And I've opened the fridge and there's this Tupperware container with um, your placenta in it. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. So I know you. (laughs) (laughs) That is deep. Yeah, That's as deep as it gets. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, yeah, my earliest memories actually, one of my earliest, earliest memories is of that brown brick joint. Yeah. You and Ben Brown used to live here yeah. in Manly, like the, the quintessential Manly unit block. Yeah. Uh, there's heaps of them down there, heaps of them in Bondi too. It's very much a, a – We city. had the special one though with a big uh, turret and dome on the front of it. Right. The stained glass windows. Yeah. yeah. still there. True. Of course. That's, of building. course it's still there. They're not knocking them things down. They're iconic. I yeah. mean, they, they would have been there since the fucking 40s or something. But oh, I think it was a school. It was, right. yeah, it was like the only building there for a while. So classic because Ben Brown, obviously, it's so cosmic and tripped out how small the world is. Ben Brown, obviously, the guy behind all of our tour art and, you know, the, the two little caricatures you see on the Ain't That Swell emblem. <laughs> yeah. That's all from Brown. And yeah. my that memory, to go deeper into it, I can remember, I mean, we used to babysit you. Yeah. You were a full toddler. I used to love being babysat at yeah. that joint. Yeah. And I used to, my main memory is of the the classical 90s like fishtail skateboard Yeah, and just doing – you guys kind of taught me how to do 360s. Uh, I, where, rem- I, I remember because Angie, your mum, and Bessie, my wife, have been great mates forever and um, – They'd be going out to see bands and then it'd be Ben and I babysitting you. <laughs> you were this little toddler guy and we'd have you – we had this orange shag pile carpet. Yeah, that's what I remember, doing 360s on the shag pile carpet, the, yeah. the Nirvana Nevermind poster. I don't know if that's accurate but I feel like that was in there somewhere. It was all that kind of period, yeah. And we had you – and we would push you up and down the hallway on the skatey. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes it'd get out of hand and – I don't know, Ben would be wrestling you or something. <laughs> yeah, the infamous uh, the infamous golly prank that Ben still denies to this day. But yeah, was there a golly prank well, in there? Oh my God. I remember waking up in my mother's arms and being really upset as you often are as a young <laughs> child. You know, even as an adult. Fuck, I get cranky as when I wake up from naps in the day. Yeah. But anyway, I was cranky. Yeah. And I was on my way out and uh, Ben was looking down on me and I think he did one of them spits where, you know, like you pull it back up, like yeah, a yeah, bungee yeah. cord kind of spit. Yeah. And I don't know if it broke or I don't know if I was just, <laughs> or I don't know if I was just off off what he was doing. I was off the just audacity yeah, of yeah. doing a you know descending spit and pulling it back up into his mouth, and everyone was laughing at me and shit. And yeah. I was just like, you know, fuck all you guys. And I, tr- I think I tried to spit back. Oh no, the encouragement from the adults was like, don't get upset, like spit back on him, spit back on him. And I tried to spit back on him, but my own spit went up and landed in my face and I cried more and yeah. Uh, Maybe that was where you got your sense of social justice. 
with uh, Ben Brown gollying on you. <laughs> Fully. Yeah, just punching down on a yeah. little toddler. It, yeah. could be, it, it could be very much the genesis of it all. Yeah. And it's interesting times, uh, the north side in those days, because I remember as well, um, obviously, like, you know, you had some sort of relationship with Barton Lynch. and Yeah, we all went to school together. Right. And, well, we all went to Mossman High which is a harbour suburb like next door to Manly. Mm. So, but there was always a Manly crew and the Mossman crew, you know, because, you know, the harbour side didn't have waves and w- so we would make our way to Manly to surf and, yeah, Barton was a school friend and there's a whole bunch of others. We mm. were all called the Mossmanites. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but anyway, they all live, heaps of them still live all around there now. Yeah, and he was would have been competing on the world tour in the that late 80s, lot, early I guess that was a lot later. But yeah, that was a lot later, but yeah. It when was, I was um, a kid, when I was there, he was the man uh, yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah that's right. Fresh winning a world title. Yeah. And, but uh, I also remember from that period that you were into kneeboarding it for a while oh, there heavily heavily yeah. into it and that, that's so interesting because it's such a north side thing obviously with peter crawford um being a, a, a really skilled exponent and you know getting super deep tube rides at dy point and elsewhere and i was just thinking about this the other day how was that after watching that greeno film actually echoes up at the lennox cultural center and i was just thinking about how irrelevant now kneeboarding is but when i was a kid it was still fully legitimate and it still is legitimate when you really think about it. Like it just suits certain kind kinds of waves, uh, you know, small hollow point breaks, for example. Or um, closeouts. Or closeouts. Um, and obviously the board design, we're almost riding knee boards now, um, mm. but standing up on them. There's well, a lot to, of similarities. To give like way back, way, way back to the Cretaceous period when kneeboarding was a thing, it was actually super cool. Like a lot of the really cool guys were kneeboarders. There was, like you said, Peter Crawford and a whole bunch of others that I won't go into naming, except for one, a real standout was a guy from Narrabeen called Michael Novikov. And um, I actually worked in, the first surfboard factory I worked in was with Michael and that was a kneeboard factory. We primarily made kneeboards, which is just it just seems so bizarre in this day and age to think of a kneeboard factory. But anyway, we um, it's actually a super functional way of, of riding substandard waves. Mm. You can airdrop in, get you – it's kind of like a boog now, you know. Mm. It kind of has that kind of relationship to surfing. And uh, But when it's done right, it also looks really nuts as well. And um, – to me when um, it just made sense to me riding really short, shitty waves that that was a good approach because I just loved sitting in the barrel and that was like a prime way of getting in the tube all the time. Exactly. I mean, that's the goal, right? It's basically to get tube, to spend as much time in that weird, (laughs) trippy little aquatic dome charging your crystals as possible. And there's no doubt that for a lot of surfing's history, stand-up surfers were not the guys getting that duped compared yeah. to kneeboarders and bodyboarders. Yeah. We were discussing after, you know, watching Echoes the other night, just how far ahead of the curve Greeno was 
for like 20 years, this guy was getting so tubed and he would have literally been the only guy on earth who was having that experience pretty well. Like, yeah. And he wouldn't have even been able to have conversations with people about That's what it was right. like. Like he was just out there on his own. Uh, I mean, bar a couple of people, I guess, maybe PC, maybe Michael Peterson, but still like they're not getting the, the depth of, of tube ride and vision and, and they're not charging their crystals to the extent that he is. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. The guy is a is a eccentric, yeah. to put it mildly, and you can yeah. only put that down to just the fucking decades of solo interstellar tubular time travel. Well, it was part of that eccentricity too that also drew, drew me towards it because uh, that period in surfing was – it was a real morphing period. It was a single fin era. And then all of a sudden we started moving towards having twin fins and then it was obviously the thruster. And then, But surfing's kind of heart also started to become, um, I guess it was the era of the bronze dozzies and all that sort of stuff and it was like, let's make this really professional and all that sort of thing. And I was like, let's oh. earn a crust. I'm sick of swallowing condoms yeah. <laughs> full of cocaine and traveling the world. Let's, let's make this legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Quite. It, um, it was all the characters around that kind of kneeboarding world that really drew me in as well. I was like, oh yeah, these guys are kind of unreal. You know, they reminded me of my dad sort of really loosen out there and like very left of field. And, um, Anyway, there was that other branch of surfing that was off getting really professional and serious. And um, But apart from that, kneeboards are actually a really functional object and probably the most functional aspect to them is their rocker, especially the older slabs and stuff like that, like PC and George was in on it. Um, and anyway... You could ride your kneeboard without flippers on. A lot of guys rode with flippers, which meant that they were catching every wave that came, you know, within 50 metres of them. But if you rode without flippers, you could alternate how you were going to ride a wave. Like you might just airdrop into a closeout pit and just get the vision or it might be fat and slow and then you're just standing up and you're just like threading away all the way through getting across flat sections and stuff. So... To me, they've always been a very functional object and um, it might shock quite a few people to think that the DNA of, uh, of kneeboards heavily runs through all my work even today. So, um, yeah. That's amazing. That's so interesting. Mm. Uh, it really is the missing link, the forgotten link and what you just said there is is crazy how many waves we're wasting and, and, and not exploring to their full extent by being too regimented in our thinking uh, with regards, you know, riding it on your knees or standing up. And I actually have seen Noah Dean, uh, he's kind of bringing it back. Like just I've seen him get crazy pitted on his knees, come out and do a big boned out frontside punt and, yeah. or a big hack or – something like that. So he's kind of bringing it back. And, of course, you know, this guy is uh, just a, a crazy waterman. Like he's a, mm. a pretty, you know, I wouldn't Absolutely. say quality bodyboarder, but he has a full dig and yeah. he's, he's picking up the art form yeah. uh, and learning it very quickly as you'd expect. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't have that regimented way of thinking. And as a result, you know, he's surfing. He's going to the craziest places. He's pretty much in a league of his own after the latest film he put out, Nozvid 
which is, uh, yeah, again, very influenced by bodyboarding. Yeah. And in a sense, I guess, like, uh, it'd be interesting to see how Nilo would go on some of these waves because they really, it doesn't make much sense to be riding them standing up. You know, like it's yeah, just adding well, a, a degree of difficulty that's almost unnecessary. Like if you're on your knee, it seems more functional to be on your knees or on your guts riding the kind of fucked up slabs that he's surfing. But, you know, the the great theatre of the film is that he is yeah. getting to his feet and packing these things and yeah. no one's really done that before. So it's... Doing a Laurie Towner or something like that. Very, very similar, very yeah. similar. I mean, Laurie in his prime would have very much been able to pull this yeah. kind of surfing off, but... Uh, I don't know. He kind of did, really. So mm. yeah, yeah. It's a um, it's a funny thing when you um, it sort of speaks to surfing itself in a lot of ways. Where um, I think a lot of surfing that gets done is um, people are sort of so invested in how they're going to look or whatever or how they're going to appear. And I think if, you, um, if you're prepared to let a lot of that stuff go and you actually just – I've said this before. If you just try and surf how you surf, you're not trying to emulate any, any one or anything, the whole activity becomes so much more enjoyable and it's just letting all of that – I've got to look like this or whatever, go, let all of that go and just surf how you surf. And uh, I can really recall getting tubed on my knees, coming out onto the face and it's gone all fat, skipping to your feet and doing a roundhouse cutting and just being like, woohoo, you know. Like, But people looking at you sideways going, Are you all right, mate? You know, like that era was a funny era. You know, there was a lot of... You know, we're lucky, we're kind of lucky as well nowadays in the fact that surfing is opening up in this area anyway. It's opening up and becoming a lot more accepting of of different types and styles and approaches, mm. So, which is obviously a good thing. But that's one place it hasn't gone yet. It has not accepted the amphibious <laughs> Nilo stick rider. It's just, it's not a thing yet. Uh, I, see, I see the occasional one. Really? I'm like, oh, my God. Like I have to wheel around and like watch the person and go like, good on you, mate. Fantastic. You know, that's so cool. Um, yeah, David Parks, I still see a few of his of kneeboards course, get Parksy, around. Garrett's old man, uh, an yeah. iconic kneeboarder. I mean, oh, world champ, was he or something? Oh, like- if he wasn't, he should have been. Yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely had some, some big contest results yeah. in that realm. But remember, Michael Novikov, oh, my God, that guy, like, was doing stuff, like doing Air 360s and stuff in, I can't even remember when it was. It was like the late 80s or wow. something. Yeah. That's crazy. And hitting the lip and you'd hear a tang like someone hitting coping or something. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah, I can remember very vividly uh, either it was either in Manly or when you guys first moved up here to Suffolk and sitting there watching VHSs of yourself and others yeah. kneeboarding, uh, I guess it was yeah around Manly and stuff like that and kind of being really enthusiastic about it, my, myself like being like thinking it was really sick but then by the time 
I was surfing, uh, it, it had fully disappeared. Yeah. Nearboarding was just a f completely forgotten art. Like yeah. just almost didn't see anyone kneeboarding from the time I was 13 until like I watched Noah pack a couple like, yeah. recently. Yeah. It was like fucking Yeah, well, I think years. for me it, it vanished very quickly. For me, well, the older you get, you want to start looking after your joints, you know, and your knee's been one of them. So um, anyway, I, I, I don't know. It just sort of seemed to fade from, from view for me. Um, the more I kind of worked on my boards, I just kind of, they, yeah, I just spent a lot more time standing on them. So um, it, uh, yeah, sort of just vanished at some point. I can't even remember when. It was decades ago now, but... Um, it was uh, certainly a fun period of my life. I remember the factory, actually, this kneeboard factory. It was my first ever job after school. I was working there a bit during school, but I remember thinking, you know, school was coming to an end and I was like kind of getting a little bit kind of caught up in like, well, you've got to go and get a job and uh, – you know, people going off and getting work and I was like kind of spooked as to what they were doing. I was like, fuck that. You know, I don't want to go and do that. Mm -hmm. you know, it all seemed too serious. and Get on the L90 to Martin Place. And oh, my God, fuck. yeah. Yeah, and that was wow. huge in those days. Everyone packed a suit and went to – got on the ferry or whatever. Mm. And um, – but going to a surfboard factory and Aloha was upstairs – and uh, Bennett's was down the road. There was all factories around there. It was like really thriving then. Mm, that was the Mecca. Was yeah, the, yeah. The, it was huge. The, like Australian shaping Mecca, but like that, yeah. that region, Brookie, but for sure, like right up there of the global shaping Meccas. Oh, so yeah. There must have been some heavy hitters. There was plenty. Of, there. They were all there, you know, like Fitzgerald, McCoy, and all those guys were there. But, um, and all the factories, they were all like little pirate ships. <laughs> Or it was like running away to the circus, you know. <laughs> Everyone were kind of freaks, you know. And you'd, um, and I was like, yes, I've found my people, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not getting a real job. This is it, you yeah. know. And um, it was just, you know, you'd show As long as you got your work done, the rest of the day was just kind of yours. And, um, yeah, it was so fantastic. Such good times. And uh, I'll, uh, I learnt so much then. In that um, uh, that period, off a Kiwi guy named Craig McDonald, and Greg Clough was upstairs. Mm. He was making Barton's boards at the time. Aloha! Fuck, what an iconic shaper, responsible for some of the most forward thinking and yeah. innovative designs. Like pretty undercelebrated. Oh, really. definitely, yeah. And there were other guys there, like Stuart Campbell, and um, oh, I can't even recall them all now. But yeah, such a cool place. And all the music, you know, there was like this real hot bit of all different music. Like The Cure was sort of new and big and, it was, yeah, it was such a great time. And, um, and everyone would get so stoned and then go and play Frisbee. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, it was the 90s. Like, I guess, well, when was this? What? what? Because it would have been hacky sack oh. at a certain point, but then the transition to Frisbee. That was a bit late. Yeah, Fris no, Frisbee was huge. Mm. Yeah, and I remember um, you'd, just, you'd be in the sanding bay or whatever and you'd just hear all this laughing and stuff. And you'd kind of peek. Oh, I had this crack in this wall and you'd look out and you'd just see everyone swirling around the car park and 
multiple frisbees just going off. And I remember this printer guy over the road, um, he'd get the shits because there'd be frisbees like <laughs> rebounding off his doors and stuff. <laughs> and there'd be, it was um, Harbord Road, I think. Yeah, and there'd be like frisbees fucking into buses and all sorts of stuff. It was oh, like there was no boundaries, you know. It was just such a good time. That's funny. Yeah. And who did you work for during those years? For um, Craig McDonald, this Kiwi guy. Mm. And he he bought, um, he took the factory over from um, Peter Ware and John Ware who had Fryer Tuck and they went, um, they brought it up here. And um, and I remember at the time being like, yeah, I won't be too far behind you. <laughs> I'm yeah. coming. Um, yeah, so that's what happened there. Um, yeah, it was oh, – I can't say enough good things about that time. And I learned how to use a planer there. And um, and I'm lucky in that kind of regard because I – I always felt comfortable with a power tool in my hand. Some people you put a t- power tool in their hand and it's like, well, get back, you know, like mm. this could be sketchy. But I always felt very comfortable, like, you know, I know how this works, I know how it feels and I felt like I was in control. It was an extension of me. Mm. Um, and I learned how to rough shape off Craig and um, which was such a – such a blessing to get that, especially at that time, because that was the beginning of me then when I was, I guess I was, kind of remember now, I must have been a teenager or early 20s or something, not getting boards off other people and just being like, no, I'm taking control of this. So um, then I endured uh, quite a few years of shitty boards, you know, <laughs> while you... Uh, you get your creative juices sort of lined up. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I'm sure most people don't know your story, but they they know your boards well enough. That's for sure. You know, morning the earth surfboards are fucking. Oh man, they're the go-to alternative craft on the planet right now, which is a, a mm. crazy thing. But that's the genesis of it right there. You know, plying your trade as a an apprentice craftsman in, in the midst of what was then arguably the, the global shaping mecca, you know, with yeah. Terry Fitzgerald and Greg Clough and like some of the fucking OGs like in the shaping bay next year, ripping billies and playing frisbee in the car park. <laughs> like what, what a place to, to develop uh, your trade. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, run away to the circus or <laughs> go aboard a pirate ship, you know. Um, and to an extent, surf, surfboard factories are still sort of that way, you know. I was um, – Actually, you just reminded me of something. I was thinking of this just yesterday and uh, Alex Cruz has just made a film and put it out. Yeah, Axod is a proud sponsor of Ain't That Swell. There we go. And the film's fucked up. little segue into that. Yeah, epic surf film. Have you seen the film? Yeah, mate. Okay. I I, I mean, we've spoke about it, me and Vaughn, on the podcast, but if you haven't seen it, go check it out because Mitch Cruz, the ageing warhorse at the box, is just fucking manhandling the most mutant orbs. Okay, well, I've got to check it out then. I haven't seen it. Sorry, Alex, I'll do that. But um, anyway, he asked me to say something about him. Oh, you're at the end of it. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so I was like, yeah, what do I actually say? And then I was thinking about the name, Axel, and it's Alex Cruz Shapes or Dies. Mm. And I was like, 
That is actually, it's actually speaking his truth. He would be fucked if he wasn't doing that. Mm. It, you know, he's, he'd be denying his time on earth doing the things he wants to do, you know. He would wither inside, you know, and I can really understand, you know, the, um, the, the draw that, you know, I go into a surfboard factory and I'm like, you guys are all hammering it away here and covered in sanding dust and doing what we've done for many, many, many decades. And they're doing it because they have to do it. It's just they're driven to doing that. You know, they could be out, I don't know, with a nail gun getting probably twice what they're getting there, but they've run away to the circus and they're, um, you know, they've just got to do that. Yeah. Full credit to Axod, Aldo uh, and his team up there, Mitch Cruz, Hanada, Toby Mossip. Uh, you know, they are keeping the dream alive. They are oh, totally. core Gold Coast degenerates like in i mean that in the most loving kind of way but yeah that they're keeping that culture alive and it, it bleeds through into the designs and who you see writing and you know i think actually at the end of that clip uh there is like fuck man like every big name surfer that's come through the gold coast is on an axod board for yeah. you know the the end of it uh for like the, the last section of that film like including fanning among many others and and just surfing Kira the other day, so many Axod boards around the core lords, you know, the fucking the yeah. OGs packing it, and uh, I mean that's just a credit to the the culture that that they promote and are a part of, and it's the culture you're talking about, about uh, from Brookie, and and long live that culture. It's at the fucking oh. bedrock of what all this is about. Yeah, well, far out. Without that that culture of wanting to create. And foster board making, we're all doomed, you know. That would be, a, that's the the existential threat that we never want to see happen is when we don't get new generations following through. That would be gnarly. But, um, you know, we'd all end up on, um, what would we end up on? I don't know, Firewise or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all due respect to Firewire. But, um, uh, yeah, he's... Um, They've just – Alex is just like – he's a perfect example of the all-around good guy too, so humble and helpful and all that sort of thing. And I actually he's, – he's got another um, – I've been learning to use Accu, the shaping yeah. software, because I'm moving into my later years, you know. You've got to start kind of making your workload a little bit lighter. And uh, it's actually been a really fascinating process that – I'm quite a few years into now, but earlier in the piece when um, I was really struggling, you know, I'd sit down in front of it in five minutes and I'd just be exhausted because there was all these different tools to use and tangents and all, you know, like plenty of different um, things for an old brain to learn. Anyway, I'd um, I'd reach out to different people and... um, They'd go, oh, yeah, you've got to do this, that, and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, I'd be more confused, you know. But I'd ring Alex and he'd be like, 
you just hear him go quiet for a moment and then he'd go, I think I know what you're talking about. And he'd go, da 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 And he'd be like, oh, my God, he's just solved this problem that I've been bending my brain over for hours. Yeah. I love that. Again, the world being so small, the fact that you guys even know each other is completely independent of me and surprising to me in a sense. You know, you generations apart. you. Totally. You don't make surfboards that are uh, at all that similar. No, uh, and, that's right. You know, he's very much in that high-performance Gold Coast mold with some fucking epic boards in that genre, but so sick. I mean, that's what shaping's about. You, you never, you're not meant to be all making the same boards. Like the, That was so never true. the case. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, getting back to Axot, I then put him in my phone as <laughs> Accu Customer Service or Die. which is what we did at the end of that film yeah yeah Yeah. anyway it was a little play on words but thinking of that that thing of you know like i'm old enough to be alex's dad easy you know and that's the other great thing about the surfboard industry and surfing in general anyway is that you know i'm 58 i paddle out in the water there's like not many other 58 year olds kind of getting around i mean there is but you know generally the surfing population somewhere in and around and under 30 and uh i feel i always just feel so privileged that you've got um uh i can share this space with all of these different generations and we all get on in the same manner we all understand and it's like that in the surfboard industry as well. Like I go, I go to the factory and there's all these young people all around me. And sure, there's a few oldies in there as well. But it's like this kind of coalescing of different age groups, but no boundaries in there. You're all just kind of, you're all in there swimming around together, kind of making it happen. And um, yeah, it's such a privilege to, to be in a situation like that. Man, in the Western world, there's not many community structures that bring the generations together. I mean, church and the odd sporting club, but even then, sport clubs, it's generally like a team of young guys and maybe an older coach. So it's like, you know, you're interacting with one or two or three older folks, but, you know, the shaping industry, the board rider club culture, like, you know, these things are fortunately uh, a real foundation of coastal culture in this country and fuck they are just so enriching mm. in the way they expose you to the various generations and mm. you know people from all walks of life and and what you get from that as a youth coming up through that structure is immeasurable you know yeah fully changed my life yeah. and for the better mostly i mean look you know a couple of shit bits of advice from the odd uh, wayward degenerate of course it's part <laughs> yeah. of it yeah. but uh yeah so no, I, I totally get what you're saying there yeah i think the um when you talk about different other subcultures and and um what brings them together and what they get from it i uh i look at i look at it intrigues me what people who don't surf um you know, where are they getting their fizz out of life? Like maybe you leave church and you're really, really fizzing. Like For sure. Church is great. It's community. It is it, – look, and I'm not expounding on the benefits of religion. 
Yeah. I just mean the concept of coming together with yeah. a huge crew of people. Yeah. Uh, we, we've shared values and, and just the ability to congregate and hang out, whether it's a car park and, uh, you know, you're consuming the holy sacrament out of a Gatorade bottle and yeah, yeah, yeah. throwing a frisbee <laughs> or you're getting it from some fucking Suscan's dodgy hands and having yeah. a sip of wine on the way out. Like, you know, yeah, that yeah. being church, obviously the Eucharist and all that. I don't, yeah, I don't maybe, know where that look, priest's hands have been. But, but – well, I guess what I'm saying is I I haven't found a high that's as good as surfing. Mm. When it all comes together and you've had that, just those fleeting moments that you can then just play back in your mind and everything is at peace, you know. You um, you just get so much from it. And the, um, yeah, I, I think surfing is totally off on its own in the fact that you have to be open to seizing the moment when the moment arises. You have to be organised enough to when the moment isn't on, get all the other stuff organised mm. so that when the moment arrives, you're ready and you've, you've got the space to do it. And um, But then the overwhelming sensory experience that surfing is like the even down to the breath work that you'll do when you're paddling or duck diving or just like you know watching the spray off the back of a wave Mm. or all of these different things that um uh are the are part of surfing the feeling of your board pushing back against you through a turn you know, there's there's so many sensory things going on there. Mm. It's um, it's yeah. I don't know. I haven't found something else as good as that. And I'm sure p- other people out there doing other things have found them. Whether it's snowboarding or mountain climbing or um, playing cards, I don't know what you know. But it's to me, I don't know. I'd just be so lost without it. You know, every. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm just really grateful that every day I get up thinking about it and the things that make it up, you know. What's the wind? Oh, I can hear something different. Oh, you know, oh, it's offshore. Oh, you know, whatever. Just mm. the way your brain works as a surfer. Mm. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the balance of um, getting all the other stuff done. Yeah. Is part of surfing as well because <laughs> if you, you have to tidy away that stuff and enjoy tidying all that other stuff away too, and it just makes the surfing even better. Then, mate, you're incredible at it. Your ability to balance family life with getting in the brine and making world class surfboards is, and you know, you've paid. I don't know. You've got a home in the hills of Byron, which you bought fucking many years ago uh, for very cheap. It's now you know, surrounded by millionaires. It's super bizarre. I can remember going with you to that land uh, when you just bought it and, um, you know, it was just crickets out there and I was kind of like, what are you thinking, mate? You idiot. <laughs> like you were living on the beach at Suffolk renting. Yeah, and, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, like you've, you've managed to, to really build this business this family and this lifestyle is like impeccably, mate. And yeah, yeah you, it's, it's, you know, I've got to credit you with actually, that's why I call you, you know, Uncle Simon, because you were that for me, you know, you were, um, 
one of the the male figures in my life that was there from as soon as I can remember and, and the whole way through. You, you may be my first surfboard and you know the bulk of the surfboards I've had since and you, the reason I started surfing really. Um, and yeah, so you've not only managed to raise your own family but you, you know you've helped bring me up and bring me into this culture and yeah yeah you, you've yeah. uh you've nailed it well yeah. played oh <laughs> <laughs> well played uh yeah oh well, thanks but it's a thing of i got two thoughts on that actually and one is what like when i was talking about those earlier days at the surfboard factory and running away to the circus there were a lot of clowns around and a lot of them were older. So there was, it's very important to me that um, I'm involved in the evolution of good humans, you know. I think that is, I kind of see that as highly, like extremely important in the things that I want to fulfil in my lifetime is to um, be of good influence to as many younger or whoever they are. I just want to be a good person in front of younger people basically. What an incredible intention, man. Well, the, uh, as, I, as I grew into a, an adult and, and a parent, I would often reflect on some of the characters that I collected um, images and behaviours from and I was like, wow, that's wrong you know i can't do that that mm. is you know ridiculous that sort of behavior i mean okay at the time everyone laughs or whatever and you know there goes a naked grommet tied to the roof rack of a car r- rubbed in vaseline or something mm. you know whirling around the block or something you know <laughs> on a grown man's car you know this yeah. is, you know all that stuff okay it's funny at the time but it's Really, kind of stupid in so many other ways. So super damaging. Oh my like, god, fuck, yeah. man! I actually know kids from my hometown who, you know, went through incidents of grommet abuse that seemed funny at the time and actually irreparably damaged them Absolutely. to the point, like you know, one of them's just a, a full blown junkie. Um, yeah, it's and it literally goes back to an incident of of grommet abuse that was you know sexual in nature but no one really saw it like that i guess at the time i wasn't there for it yeah but you know a lot of those things were like nudity based and you know it's getting yeah. pissed on and yeah. like in a cage or strapped to a fucking pole and yeah, naked left- or locked in a fucking a shop display naked that was a, an iconic one there yeah. at south bondi uh, <laughs> for stealing from a surf shop one of the roms got yeah. locked in the uh window display nude for a I mean, they still raise a chuckle for sure. But, you know, it, the reality of, of it is, it is, it's abuse and it's so wrong, you know. But It's a fine line, man. Wow. Yeah, and so, you've know, you got to know what you're playing with. Like oh, if you man. sway to the wrong side of that line, it can be uh, life-changing. Yeah, well, you're a friend, you know. like, And it, even now, you know, I still, you know, it's like we all have, visions or thoughts or memories or whatever and some of the things that occasionally pop into my mind I don't know what brings them up or whatever maybe you know some little trigger there and you go what you know that really happened you know you're sort mm. of double checking yourself and you don't know at the time like the perpetrators well, like kid. everyone's kids everyone's yeah. young everyone's dumb you don't understand the gravity 
of what you're doing. You know, the, the, the male prefrontal cortex is not fully formed till the age of 25. So we're all kicking around with peas in the front of our skulls, just doing exactly. dumb shit, running yeah. our heads through brick walls or yeah. throwing ourselves headfirst over slabs and, and, and everything in between. So, you know, I'm, I'm not casting aspersions on the people who may have performed, you know, somewhat indecent acts. Like it's all yeah. very blurry. It's, it's, fully a part of the same culture that we're talking about that we're celebrating there is a bit of a dark or more than a bit of a dark side to it yeah yeah should also be acknowledged but back to your point about just just setting that that strong example that's exactly what you've done man not only for your your kids like your kids are so beautiful tahiti and dash they're just like so well raised so kind it blows my mind the emotional maturity of them yeah Um, when i think of myself at that age it's like can't even compare but then also what you've done for Torin and myself, like you perform that same role again. And it's it, it's it's not like you're going out of your way to do it. It's just the way you live your life and mm. the, the amount of time that you were able to give me. And you're very generous with your time and, and your instruct like your what's the word? Not instructions, but just your general ambience. You know, yeah. Open. Well, thanks. That's um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just guess um like i said i i just feel that it's hot you know of utmost importance to just be a calm guide you know and i've got i've got some calm guides that are older than i am and you know i'll look to them and you know i don't necessarily ask them for anything but just to be with them that's it, hey. Is you know you feel it kind of, um, I don't know, some sort of osmosis, you know, where you kind of um, they're passing you knowledge without even we're not there trying, you know, they're not preaching to you or anything. They're just being who they are, you know, and that's um, a really important thing for me to go through as well is to be around with older people than than I that I really respect and love their their ways of being in the world you know it's uh um it's uh yeah super important you know we've got to evolve you know it's um that's where the learning happens it's so well put what you're saying just being around people who are calm mm. and who you and you enjoy their company you know mm. you can't really enjoy their company of people who are volatile and erratic because mm. it's just you, you, well, you never know it. when they're going to go off exactly you know? <laughs> um and so like just by virtue of keeping yourself in a calm state, that's probably, in fact, it's definitely the best way to have a positive influence on the people around you. It's not mm. by giving them advice and instructions. It's just mm. by letting, you know, just by letting the, the energy flow through you in a positive way and, mm. and through osmosis or mm. whatever you want to call it, it yeah. will be absorbed and it will be listened to. You know, when I think back to my youth, like, you know, from a, single parent home you know very itinerant um it was pretty rough at times and um you know also like playing a lot of football and how different that culture is Mm. to the culture that you represent yeah you know you you were so like kind and calm Mm. but the world i was in for 90 percent of the time was erratic violent ultra macho yeah um 
and super hardcore. Like it was mm. gnarly, you know. I got obviously yeah. metal plates in my face. I got fucking yeah, all those 12, injuries you sustained. Twelve to fifteen concussions. You know, out cold three or four times. You know, like oh. like a lot of bad shit went down. But uh, you know, I always felt. I think that's why I loved hanging out with you guys, and mm. every time we came to visit you in Manly or uh, up up north here, like I would enter that energy, and it was <clears throat> kooky and fun and yeah. circusy, like yourself yeah. and Brown, like you know, it yeah. was and it was comical, and like you guys were always really happy and taking the piss, and like, but there was none of the. None of the hardcore. I don't think scary we were shit. playing the alpha male. Not thing, even you know? slightly. Yeah, it, you, there was no alpha male thing. It was just a whole different archetype of how to be a man, mm. and uh, that's where I've derived so much influence from you. And mm-hmm. you, you can't help but kind of hold yourself to the standards that you've set, mm. even though they're not spoken or demarcated mm. these standards. Yeah. But your presence, like that's what I want to be. I want to be like Simon or like you know. Mm. Yeah, that was actually a, a, was definitely a recurring thought when I was growing up. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah, that right. that was the the influence was was just I'd, I'd rather be like that. And mate, look at how our lives have tracked. It's pretty eerie. Yeah. You know, I'm living just down the road from you. Like, I know, it's wild. Eh? Yeah, it's wild. You know, and yeah. we're surfing more or less the same waves. And I'm yeah. cold. We live almost identical lifestyles now. So true. Yeah. And it could have been very different, you know. Like if I hadn't have known you, I wouldn't have surfed. I probably would have just gone all in on football and I would be a, like if I hadn't oh, made imagine that. Imagine your I'll, physical state. Mate, now. imagine. And I, I would have been, without surfing for sure, I just would have ended up in, um, I would, I, I'd imagine a life of crime like and, and thuggery because, mm. you know, I almost did anyway. Um, mm. And. Surfing is for sure what kind of yanked me out of that through getting the job at Stab, through yeah. just wanting to travel and, and get waves. And you, you got to yeah. keep a uh, clean sheet and no criminal record if you want to travel and get waves. And yeah. um, these things were hugely influential on yeah. my life. So you can have um, you can have these uh, these little moments in life where you know there's the the intersection. You know, and you obviously came to that intersection at some point and you veered left. It was and young. surfing it was, became It was your... when you made me my first surf. I'll never forget it. Living yeah. in Bull Street, Bondi. Yeah, Simon right. Jones shortboard with a kind of like <laughs> these like flames on the rails and uh, very surf <laughs> really? course back. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> and uh, uh, that was mind-blowing to me. It was the, the greatest gift yeah. anyone has given me to date like it was yeah. just so crazy to have a fresh board and you know yeah. my mum's from Forbes she doesn't know nothing about surfing like yeah. so it was up to me to just I, I tucked that thing under my arm and I just walked head first into the, yeah. the ocean day into after day throng. until I could surf yeah, yeah that was and of course because I had this gleaming fresh surfboard in front of me it was yeah. a fucking mind melting uh, present to give and, and that was the divergent path right there yeah yeah well hold that thought Divergent paths, because I've got one. But before we move on too far, you were talking about, um, you know, all of the the sort of the life I created for myself, and and there was a really important thing about a life that you create for yourself. I guess I'm talking about me, so I'll talk about me. Um, I don't usually do this, but but hang on. Get my thoughts straight. The, imp- the important 
part of that in creating a life is that you've got to acknowledge that none of these things are, do- are just done in isolation. You know, like it sort of wasn't me just out in the Wild West blazing this trail and doing it all by myself, you know. At the same time, I've got a life partner, Bessie, who's been right, had my back every second, you know, every second of every day of all of that. And a lot of it was super torturous too, you know. Like she'd roll over in bed and be 2 a.m. She'd go, where is he, you know. And he's somewhere probably, I don't know, Doing, lapping a board or doing whatever he was doing. I was out there, but she had my back. And then, and in her ha- having my back, the kids saw that too and would, and so then the kids kind of rally around and, and become part of this thing moving forward. It's not, you know, I did, sure it was my thought to build this thing and this home and all this sort of thing. But I did it with her, you know, and um, and to me that is, um, you know, there's just so much love shown there that she will have my back through thick and thin in the realisation that he's got to do this, mm. I'll help him, you know. Mm. And, uh, and to me that's amazing to think that another human can, can be so supportive. And then... As this kind of organism moves along and and Morning of the Earth surfboards, which was once just an idea, and then it becomes a board and then it becomes two and ten and it kind of starts morphing out. It's still your idea but you've got all these other people that kind of come in around you and kind of rally behind you as well mm. and they're part of that whole journey too. And so you've got to give credit to all of those people too you know there's so many yeah. of them now let's know? start giving credit to a few of them i mean let's let's go to the very top first albie Falzon made the morning of the earth film um you know let's just talk about the film for a moment and what how that changed your life well it was it was in that lounge room with the the shag pile carpet <laughs> of course my 21st birthday i'm 58 so what's the mass on that it's a long time ago um <laughs> And Bessie go. She spotted this album in a secondhand record store. I've still got it, obviously, and it had uh, a sticker on it. it. Said rare copy, and I was like, "What is this? It's Morning of the Earth, right?" And I'm like, "Okay, pull it out, dust the vinyl off, put it on the turntable." And at that time, we were listening to, well, essentially just garage bands. It was just noise and mayhem mm. and I put Morning of the Earth on and it was like someone had hit the gong. <laughs> yeah. I think that was Albie's intention. I think hit so. Hit a big old Tibetan gong yeah. on, a, on a collective level. And I, I just couldn't stop listening to it. I was like, this is insane. And then we got the VHS clunk into the player and I just could not stop watching it either. I was like, this whole thing is insane. And um, and to me, I was witnessing, I was in the 80s, but witnessing the single fin era, 
and watching people surf how they just surf, it wasn't – everyone was becoming very homogenised then. Mm. Um, so I wasn't watching that and I was watching people do and surf and live just how they do. And it morphed into this thing of me thinking about the label but the the thing where we're talking about Albie and Albie's impulse, so if you go back beyond the creation of the film and Albie was a young bloke and he was working in Sydney at Hanamex or somewhere as a film developer, I think, mm. and he was on his way home down to the wharf to get the ferry back to wherever and um, probably back up to Palm Beach or Whale Beach where they were living and uh, anyway, he's standing on a street corner and there's two nuns there, right? And so you've got to lock these two nuns in, right? And they're there dressed in their black habit or whatever it's called. Mm. Albie comes up to them all just standing there, these three kind of really intensely spiritual people, this triangle, and they look at him and they engage him in conversation. They go, oh, what, do you, what would you like to do, you know? And he looks at them and he goes... I want to make a really beautiful surf film. And you go, ping, that's like the, that first spark just goes chuff out into the universe, right? That energy thing. Chuff. Yeah, full chuff. <laughs> and I, so I kind of, I lock that point in there and I have to bring the nuns along in that with Albie because mm. they were there. That was, it was those three. Man. And from there... And it's and if you follow all the little steps all the way through to where we are now, it's like this thing of just people suddenly, like I was saying, people rallied around me and helped me in this journey. Bessie at first, and then the others come around, and now it's become bigger than me and bigger than my thoughts, and it has this energy all of its own, and it's just like a. Um, like a, I don't know, like a star that's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes. It's just like it's crazy. It's yeah. so crazy. It's so cosmic. Because the intention of Albie's film was just to to make a, a beautiful film, yeah. uh, a film uh, uh, that was dripping in love and, and nature, and you know, it was all about and a different just, way of being. You know? Yeah, a different way of being. Like very much a product of a lot of the ideals that were coming out of the the late sixties and. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the love generation and, and trying to see another way of life beyond the the post-war baby boomer fucking suburban anxious mm. nightmare existence, yeah, the 9 totally. to 5 shit. Um, and, you know, when you look at it, like at that point when he made that film, the only way to really surf regularly was to completely drop out. Like there was not much of an option. There was definitely no yeah. income to be derived from surfing. So, you know, <laughs> these guys moved up to the North Coast, rented – cheap farm sharks grew their own food and uh and, and surfed and shaped their own boards yeah and then it's interesting you watch that film at a time when surfing has gone through the the corporate shooter it, it's got the you know professional surfing tour yeah. it, it, that's created this criteria and this kind of uh template for surfing performance and if you're not doing that then you're a kook kind of thing yeah and you're 
in that period, and, and you know, it's no longer LSD and mushrooms and, and plant medicines. It's speed and cocaine and fucking yeah. just like that was greed is good. Greed is good. <laughs> and so you you're like, oh fuck this, and, and you see this original source text, like you know, something that in 500 years time will be viewed like the Bible of surfing. I mean, and you know, he was oh, I working truly hope so for the surfers Bible tracks at the time, which is. Uh, cosmic in itself, yeah. Albie was, and whilst making this film, and it inspires you to then relocate to the north coast and uh, do your best to to live the lifestyle that, that these I'd guys yeah. uh, had portrayed in this film or were living in this film. And then, I mean, we'll get to the bit where you you know get the the rights to make Morning of the Earth surfboards uh, from Albie, but I mean, it's interesting. It's like. You and Torrin have completely taken Albie's message and his film and his product and you've modernized it perfectly. Mm. Like you've added a fin to the boards they were writing and created a a template and an outline and a design or a range of designs that, you know, fully harks back to the surfing. Like there's so much personality uh, and style and flow and, and just grace and beauty in the way Torrin rides your equipment. Mm. It's this perfect symbiosis. Mm. And it has, again, as Morning of the Earth did, your boards, you know, the films that have come off the back of that, like Thank You Mother, they have, again, created this huge global, I don't know what you call it, like a global influence or a global movement of sorts back towards the style of surfing, the lifestyle itself that Morning of the Earth first, you know, expounded upon. You guys have fully modernized it perfectly and tied it in this neat little cosmic bow. Yeah, well, I, th- I think, yeah. And it, it so in what you're saying is it's, it's developed into – it's developed into a modern version of of Morning of the Earth, but the the um, it's taken along with it, as you said as well, all of the kind of ethos behind that, and part of that is just being who you are in yourself. And to me, the I think one of the greatest successes with the boards is is that um, you can. Uh, they they introduce you more into surfing just how you would surf. Mm. You don't have to have your feet in exactly spot A and spot B or this thing just doesn't go. They're very forgiving in that manner. Uh, they run and glide thanks to kneeboards and they um, – uh, essentially give the person a lot more freedom just to run and glide, mm. you know, and kind of that's about as good as it can get, you know. If you're just running and gliding and going super quick but still do a few turns here and there, that that's like you've found it, you know. 100%. Totally found it, yeah. It's about riding energy. It's a shame that. A lot of the time, that kind of surfing doesn't get respect from the crowd necessarily. Like, mm. it, it's a weird thing, but it's undeniable that in surfing, like, it's not just enough anymore to necess- necessarily ride a wave in a way that you feel mm. was the right way to ride it. Because mm. if you come come in, or you know, if you 
run into people who don't acknowledge that style of surfing or don't respect that style of surfing. It's it's deflating mm. and uh, can ma- can be enough to make people change and, and try and conform to what is the norm, which is tearing the fucking bag out of it and putting yeah. up 50 turns on every available piece of foam. Yeah. And sure, that that's totally admirable surfing as well. I, I would never, you know, say, you know, if you can totally tear a wave to pieces, that's incredible in itself. But most of us can't do that and we'll never do that. And y- you end up with a... Um, that person who might have just paddled into a wave, they mightn't be a really incredible surfer or they might be a really incredible surfer. It doesn't really matter. The thing that matters is when you get out of the water, how good you feel, you know? Mm. What are those moments you can play back in your mind that uplift you and make you a better person to be around and all that sort of thing? And that's what it is at the end of it. Not coming in going, oh, my God, I've got the shits, you know? Like there's no worse feeling. Mm. And um, and that was essentially what I was always trying to create and still try to create today, even, you know, with the help of everyone around us. You know, you say, again, when you said Tyron and I, and sure, it's Tyron and I are sort of, I guess, the face of that, but behind that is Ishka, like Ishka spending like so many hours staring through a viewfinder under a cane hat in all weather to get the moment, you know. And if Ishka misses the moment, it could be huge, you mm, know. He's essentially Albie Fauzon in this totally reimagining of morning yeah, yeah, but it caught like nowadays too, like the money that goes behind setting all of that up if Ishka misses the moment, it's like, well, because the films are also driving all of us along now. People watch, you know, Lost Track and Thank You Mother and all that and they get uplifted like they see Morning of the Earth. You know, they got, you know, you get uplifted watching that. You also get uplifted watching these films, you know. So it's so important that Ishka gets um, recognition here and, and Ryan and Chris and Everyone else yeah, the at Jacket essentials Need group. Essentials, you mm. know, this hot, that's what I was getting at where it's like this thing where I kind of don't have control of it anymore. It's just this organism mm. that's just moving forward, mm. you know, and it's got its own momentum. But it's carrying your intentions. Yeah, yeah, and that's the super and important intentions. thing. And it's, it's carrying the message yeah. and the, yeah, the yeah. ambience of the original source text, and and that's what is so so important, man. It's yeah. incredible that that shit survives and continues to flourish yeah. for the coming generations. And you know, there's been a few attempts at. Uh, well, I guess uh, Ank Kidman made Spirit yeah. of Akasha for very much the same reasons, just trying to honor Morning of the Earth and and modernize it and, and bring it into this new space for new generations so they can really understand what surfing is about and the culture. And he's done that with a number of incredible films that he's made over the years. Um, you know, you had a hand in that. And this was prior to Morning of the Earth Surfboards from memory um, or around about the same time maybe. Yeah, it was but a few years into it. it was Spirit of Akasha. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was quite a few years into it. But I remember you, you and uh, – you and Michael Peterson, before MP's passing, collaborated yeah. on a range of single fins for that film, or not necessarily for it, but the boards were written in that film. Can you 
Talk yeah. to us a bit about that story. Oh, well, um, sort of a long story, but it got, I got approached. Somebody had been doing it, making his boards. And um, um, anyway, I was asked, do you want to do it? And I was like, well, yeah, sure, I'll have a crack at that. No worries. And, um, and then it all of a sudden struck me that the boards that we were making were super hard to ride. Mm. I was just like, well, that's a pig. And that one, I mean, under Michael's feet, sure. But generally, I mean, people want to, if they buy a surfboard, they want to buy it and ride it. And have a good time on it. And you'd think so. You oh. generally think so, right? <laughs> I feel like the uh, almost the entire surf industry, uh, shaping industry, <laughs> yeah. contradicts that argument. There's been people have been buying Fanny models and Parco models and uh, <laughs> whatnot for the last twenty years. Yeah, yeah, true. And bogging ninety uh, percent of cutbacks. Oh my god, yeah. Um, but speaking of these boards, I was like, oh yeah, kind of. I wasn't getting off on it, I was like, oh, yeah, but – and I'd ride some of them and I'd just be like, not – anyway, I thought it needed rethinking. So um, I was talking to Michael about this and he was like, oh, yeah, no worries, you know, and chatted about it and gave me feedback and he'd be like um, – and we'd have boards and be looking at them and he himself would write some of them off. He'd go – Show me that board there. You know, I'd have somebody would have lent me a board from somewhere and I'd take it around and show him and go, you know, what's the take with this one? And you go, oh, that thing was a pig, you know, or whatever. Because mm. <laughs> he would shape them in like 20 minutes, I've heard, just. <laughs> <laughs> like the Tasmanian devil just yeah, in a yeah, cloud exactly. um, Anyway, and we've all shaped pigs. But um, anyway, I was, I was talking to him more of like, Let's actually make some boards that feel really good under the feet. And um, so that was that kind of branch of where I was at with him um, and we were moving forward on that. But there was also, in saying that, there was a lot of, um, I'll just before I move on, I was like, oh, we should actually do a few colours as well. And he was like totally pumped on that. Mm. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, there was a yellow one, the um, Cura Special, and had a white deck. And, you know, it was a beautiful looking board for sure. Is that the kind of uh, potato-y, stub nose kind of thing? No, that's the Morning of the Earth board. Right. That's the little stubby. More the shooter. The, yeah. Or oh, the D-Bar Special. Oh, uh, that, that was, was one that he and I kind of came up with. The right. Cura Special was actually the Cura Special. It right. was a board that... Um, a pintail that he would ride at Kira and bigger Kira. And um, anyway, we kind of based the boards off that one. And um, anyway, we started adding some colour and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we were having fun doing it. When You know, we were never going to make a million boards. And then, um, but there's, there's quite a few um, MP police and they're like, if you stray out of, out of your lane, out of Michael's lane, like doing, can't do an orange one or you can't do a blue one, you know, mm. like anyway. And it all just, anyway, Michael unfortunately passed away and that was super sad and all of that. And I was just like, that project's done. If Michael's not here, you know, let's just leave that. 
And, um, yeah, but it was certainly really a really, really fun and informative part of my working life. And, but I'll net, I, I can't say I met MP, I met Michael. And mm. Michael, by the time I met Michael, was, um, he wasn't physically very well, but he was, um, you look into his face and you'd be like, yeah, 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 I can see you there, you know, like through his sunnies. He still had that same pair of aviators. Wow. And, um, and we would chat about certain things, but the most notable thing between MP and Michael was Michael was a total gentleman and a really gentle guy, mm. you know, quite softly spoken and, um, and it was a real privilege to get to know him. Oh, man, that's so rad. It's so crazy that you were so inspired by Morning of the Earth, the film, you move up the coast and suddenly you are working like you're literally <laughs> the hands for the greatest surfer in that film slash, yeah. you know, of yeah. all time in, in some people's opinion. Can you remember the MP cutback poster in the hallway? Yeah, apparently? well, yeah. I can't, but I've got it on my wall and yeah. yeah. We would have um, pushed you past on the skatey past that, Ben and I, and that was always on our lounge room door, that cutback. But uh, yeah, I know it was... Yeah, it was amazing. It was totally incredible. And uh, well, anyway. what are your memories of the man? Like, because you know, a lot of people talk about him as if he was super reclusive and uh, you know incapable of holding a conversation, and and you know, largely like not with it for a lot of the latter years of his life. But what was your experience of the man? Oh. I think um, Michael was just pretty much to the Michael I observed was pretty much happy in his own space, listening to music, just doing his thing, you know, and watching movies and and uh, going for a bit of a walk here and there, and off to hung, Hungry Jacks. And uh, uh, it's funny to think, you know, because I, I always. You know, my eating habits are based around healthy eaters, and 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 Bessie and Tahiti at home. You know, they're um, we eat very well, and I always remember the stories about Michael having you know bags of nuts and collecting this from here and there, and been you know really kind of fastidious about his food, which um, um, you know I always love to hear those sort of stories. But then later in life, he was just like. Right, we off to Hungry Jacks, you know, and I'm like, oh my god, man, you should not be eating this shit, you know. So I remember a couple of times taking him around there, but if you had him one on one, it was fun, it was good, you know, like it wasn't, um, it was just calm banter, a few laughs, that sort of that sort of thing. He, um, yeah, it was just a a, a quiet gentleman, really, mm. yeah. You know, and ultimately was diagnosed with schizophrenia and, and heavily medicated. Mm. But let's also consider the fact that, you know, when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, like there was so little understanding of the brain and mental illness. Mm -hmm. He was also from, what was the, the story of his family? Uh, you know, like single mother, um, you know, like yeah. they had like a pretty traumatic yeah. upbringing like pretty impoverished upbringing probably like in, in reality when you look back on it 
you know, I'm often questioning a lot of the mental illness diagnoses, especially the ones that come out of fucking Boggo Road prison. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, where he received, what was it, electroshock therapy. You know, he, he cops them like experimental clockwork orange style. Oh, yeah. One flew over the cuckoo's nest style. Uh, uh, when I go to Brisbane, therapy, I, I look at say. that building and just – yeah, it screams all of that stuff that you're just talking about, you know, that archaic just mindset. And again, that, that's that thing about how we should all be looking towards growth and becoming better versions of ourselves. You know, like the people that he he was influenced by and around in his, when he was a kid, you know, that was like... That was my experience probably on steroids, you know. Mm. And, you know, there should, yeah, the ignorance was so alive then that people weren't picking up on his schizophrenia as a kid, you know. Well, I mean, because it might not have even been there. Yeah, it might have been more exactly the case right. that he had yeah. complex PTSD, which can manifest in extreme volatility and um, erraticism and, and, you know, Chuck in like all the cocaine and heroin and, mm. uh, you know, like heavy drug binges, the sleep deprivation, like yep. all this shit creates psychosis totally. um, that can very much present as schizophrenia to some fucking numbskull prison mm. doctor in the 70s. Yeah. Or 80s. Like, so, you know, they just plonk him on the, the heaviest sedatives they can and, yeah. you know, fucking keep let him, him quiet. Keep him quiet, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think if MP had have come up in today's. Uh, oh, totally like different. The scenario. treatment uh, would be totally different. Uh, the understanding around what he was dealing with, like the legacy of trauma. I mean, you look at his brother Tommy, like mm. an absolute legend, but obviously he's got a, an alcohol problem, to put it mildly. Mm. Uh, and, mm. you yeah. know, he's one of the most rusted on classics of all time. Anyone can have a beer and a chin wag of Tommy Peterson at the Rainbow <laughs> Surf Club. It's iconic that, you know, literal surf royalty is just there yeah blowing the top off a, a frothy one <laughs> at uh, 9 30 a.m at rainbow surf Club. oh my it. god yeah but uh yeah like it's interesting you know that, that you got an insight into a guy who was written off by the mainstream and and, and really marginalized and, and he actually mm-hmm. had a, a you know a, quite a pleasant experience of him in his in his twilight and Mate, you, you got to shape a, a bunch of surfboards with MP. Like, what an insane sentence yeah, well, to even be able to say out loud. Yeah, well, actually, he, Michael couldn't couldn't go into a shaping bay. He yeah, was I understand flipped that. Flipped out by dust. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you would have so, fucking probably huffed about fifteen kilos of it without a mask back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, even uh, I remember going to the beach with him one day and um, trying to get him onto the sand. And he was just would not have a bar of it, just like, oh, no, 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 don't get sand on my feet, you know. And I was like, wow, that's so wild, you know. But I'd say that was um, probably the medications talking again, you know. For sure. Who knows what And that, that would have been with the know. weight gain too, all that yeah, crap slows your metabolism down. Yeah. You, you see that all the time with people who are on, uh, I don't know what it is, but I, I often see – people who are medicated and mm. put on a lot of weight. It's quite yeah, strange. It just it's, fluid or I, I, I don't, don't know, know if it does but, something to the metabolism maybe, your ability mm. to process food and uh, – but also maybe, you know, it can just create a um, 
a weird loop where you're, you're low in energy. So you're constantly emotionally eating to try and yeah. boost your energy, which is, you know, you're always eating high glucose foods and yeah. that glucose yeah. has got nowhere to go. So it becomes and you fat. you probably don't have a lot of income. So you're buying crap. No income. Exactly. You're on mm. some weird government stipend that only allows you to fucking yeah. shop it. You know, just you've buy got shit. Big pharma just, just pumping their crap at you. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Terrible. Anyway, glad that he uh, glad that he got to to bask in your ambience and, and vice versa oh, at the well, end there, man. And, yeah. And make some sick boards. And Fanning ended up writing one of them in the film, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. And um, that was. Um, what was that experience like? Mick must have been fucking tripping to get yeah. on an MP single fin. Oh well, it was. Um, it was yeah, it was super interesting. It was um, actually there was it, there was a run of waves, not unlike what we've sort of just had, and they ended up shooting that up around the back of ocean shores there, and there was some really nice banks. I remember um, that you know when those when all those beaches just get all those A-frames and there's like mm. kilometres and kilometres mm-hmm. of them. And it was one of those periods. And um, that's where they shot some of that or all of it. I can't remember now, but it was, um, yeah, a really great thrilling opportunity. I was like pinching myself like, oh, is this still all really happening? But, um, um, yeah, it was yeah, it was incredible. And then I remember going to the opera house and they had the the premiere of Spirit of Akasha at the there. opera house. I was there in a blue suit. You couldn't have missed me. Yeah, right, right. Oh, what a night. Yeah. <laughs> Pond played, I remember. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a sick night. It went for hours and hours and hours and the place was pretty full, I seem to remember. Mate, uh, yeah, I remember uh, – Saw Kevin from Tame Impala there. I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Tame Impala was there. Uh, yeah. They're mates of the guys in Pond, or maybe there's some yeah. mutual members there. But uh, crazy night. I feel like every fucking surfing identity uh, from Sydney and, and probably the country was there that night. One of the very few times that anything surf related has made it all the way to the Opera House. Yeah. What well, a venue. What a. Uh, Man, what an occasion. Fucking got to love that Warner Brothers coin backing you up. Wow. Yeah. Well done, Andrew. You know, like, well done, Kidman. Yeah. yeah. He's, oh, he's Legendary. Uh, yeah. The, um, I remember sitting there thinking um, because there was all this like – it was a surfing crowd and so it was like heaps of hooting and screaming and stuff and in the part where we were sitting anyway, there was like people getting out of their chairs and like was – Oh, going off. It was great fun. I remember thinking, wow, the last time I saw a surfing film there was I went and saw a free ride there. Wow. And I think it's Sean Thompson does a duck dive. And I remember sitting there with all my mates and we like talked it out back to front on the ferry on the way back home. And we were just like, do you see what he was doing there? And it was like a duck dive, right? We were all doing Eskimo rolls and just getting smashed. And then all of a sudden the duck dive entered and it was like, yeah, it was a pretty pivotal moment that um, seeing that duck dive because it just revolutionised getting out the back. Yeah, that's crazy. That's <laughs> yeah. a quantum leap. Yeah, um, exactly. But, oh yeah, that's also crazy that you saw a free ride at the Opera House. I mean, Fuck, I love that surf film. Oh, oh my yeah. Lord, it's amazing. Oh, my God. And yeah. uh, you shot incredibly well. I, I love the narration. You know, yeah. the surfing is so high end, obviously, like 
yeah. uh, you know, for its time, definitely the deepest tube rides that any stand-up is that, um, MR and Sean get that yeah. double tube? Yeah. Hey, the dual backdoor off the wall yeah. cone is so iconic. Yeah. It's, um, but it's, it's just unreal, like eh? too much. It's <laughs> two titans of their time oh, yeah. dueling it out in the same pit. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Wow. Sean behind. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Fucking unbelievable. Yeah. But um, thinking about – yeah, so that, that was a – yeah, it was a pretty pivotal little period there for sure. And then um, Michael passed away and then I was like, you know what, it's just really time to fully hook back into the just focus on morning of the earth and that's what I did from, from then on. And, um, and I learnt so much through that whole period. I just sort of really applied it all again into – Pushing, 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 you know. Well, mm. not pushing, you know. You've got to push because you've got to earn money, pay the mortgage and feed the kids and do all that stuff. But the one thing with that whole project, of the Morning of the Earth project, is most of it just has happened. It's not like you've had to push. It's all just sort of flowed and, and all of the people gathering around has just flowed as well. And, um, yeah, it's just been a really – that aspect of it's been very easy. And um, I was actually just talking to um, Albie this morning and um, he's such a – he's such a thropper. He was like – I think Al, Al must be like 80 now. Wow. He I does think not so. look 80. He's, know, he's running know. Wim Hof spec like anti-aging – yeah. That's and I was insane. surfing with him the other week and we were like trekking down steep cliffs and stuff and he's there with a 710 and wet wetty over his shoulder just bouncing down the track, you know, wow. having a great old time. But anyway, um, I, I was talking to him this morning again, actually, we were just bouncing off different things and how they just kind of, it's like a school of fish, you know, another one just kind of swims in up beside, you know. And we were talking about um, Justin, the young guy who's just in the States, Justin Mish, who's just restored um, Morning of the Earth to 4K. Wow. And um, Yeah, that's right. I remember. Anyway, he's, um, he's been playing that around in the States. In the States, he takes it on the road. And tonight they're doing a show in Rincon. And um, uh, when you... You know, going back to talking about that spark, you know, of energy that just sort of flicks off and it becomes another kind of continuation of Morning of the Earth. A lot of people actually didn't know about Morning of the Earth in the States and now they've been exposed to it 50 years later. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's having this really positive effect over there, you know. It's like um, uh, sort of the the... The sparks keep flying off. They're getting more and more and more. You know, more people are kind of rallying in around it. And and one of these is a mate of Justin's, who um, is uh, making jet fuel for NASA, and he makes it out of carbon that he vacuums out of the atmosphere. Right? <laughs> These guys are like that's insane. Yeah, it is. It's insane. And he goes. Um, Anyway, the one byproduct that they've got, because they end up with oil, mm. I gather, that they're making this jet fuel from. It's real high-grade, really expensive. They, and they're like, 
real heavy hitters. One of them's a young guy from Sydney, apparently, who lives in New York. But anyway, that's beside the point. The one byproduct that they've got that they don't use at the moment at the, mo- at the moment is wax. And we just like, Justin's like, oh my God, imagine if we can make Morning of the Earth surf wax from this um, wax that we're basically vacuuming out of the air, you know. Whoa, man. Yeah. So it, wow. it, the impulses going back to the nuns and the Albi, they're still kind of occurring and shooting oh, off. Dude. And when you say that text, that ancient text thing, if this keeps happening, Morning of the Earth is like this advocate for us and the planet. It just kind of keeps creating good things all the way along and, and helping people, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, mm. watching the film is as close as you can get to a hero's dose of mushrooms. Like, it's just <laughs> so dripping in colour and beauty. It, it's just a total sensory overload experience. Yeah. And uh, it's so deeply cosmic. I trip out on the fact that, you know, Albie's from Redfern. And uh, yeah. just like I was, tr- you know, getting the opportunity. You and Ange lived there, yeah? Yeah, well, you know, we lived in Dremoyne and Camperdown and one of her boyfriends, Ashley, uh, an Aboriginal fellow, was from Redfern and, you know, I can remember spending a lot of my childhood down there. Yeah. We didn't yeah. actually live in the suburb but, um, yeah, we were there a lot. And you did the sport for Koori Radio. Yeah, I worked for Koori Radio. Yeah. That was where my radio career started or journalism wow. career started really. Um, and yeah, you know, just grew up in a, you know, at a time in the city when there was a lot of blackfalls around and, yeah. you know, we just, that was our network being, yeah. you know, lower income, poor people like, uh, poverty makes strange bedfellows as they say. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there was just a mixed bag of, of crew and, um, yeah, just to, to know that Albie and myself had a, a lot of shared experiences in the inner city. It True. A, it was a trip out and, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean. Interesting. And just, I guess, maybe having those experiences really opens your eyes to the beauty of the coast and, and, and surfing mm. and, and nature. Mm. Growing up in, in the grit, in the inner city smokestacks and like, you know, life's hard in the inner city or at least it's it's not the natural world, but it makes you appreciate the natural world all that much more. And um, maybe yeah. that there's a parallel there in our, our journeys. Like I look at the film that he made, and I'm like, wow, man, you, you've managed to capture something about nature that has eluded every other filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I wonder why, what gave him that superpower. But maybe that's what it was growing up in a tenement in Redfern. Yeah, <laughs> Going to yeah, Clevo yeah. Boys, fucking yeah. high school or primary school, whatever it was. Spot the beauty. Man, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, um, but there's a couple of things that we need to touch on before you get out of here. Um, fucking... I don't know where to start first. I mean, obviously, winning the Stab Electric Kool-Aid Acid Board Test, whatever it's called, yeah. two times. The Kool-Aid Acid, yeah. It's pretty wild. Uh, who wrote the board? So, Stefan Noah, was it? Um, uh, uh, I made one that Steph wrote and she chose that, which was – that was um, incredible. That was um, – yeah, that was such a such a big moment in my life that I was so flawed. And then 
so yeah, and and none of that was pushed. I remember Sam just asked me if I wanted to do it. And I was like, yeah, right, yeah, here you go, blah blah blah. Sam Mack, the yep. uh, owner of Stab, Stab Magazine and my yep. first boss. Yeah, yeah, father to Bob. Yeah, and um, he's that classic little Bob. <laughs> yeah, isn't he? yeah, and um, that that point there, um, it legitimised what I do in the states. I don't quite understand the mechanics of it, but except that stab must be adored in the states. Or they're something. massive in the states, man. And in it, it, just when you're saying that in the states they're relatively uh, oblivious to morning of the earth, um, you know they must have seen Steph win that test. Yeah. Also, your board win that test, ridden by Steph, and yeah. being like, "Oh, morning of the earth surfboard, sick! What a what a sick board!" And and now they're seeing the film and being like, "What the fuck? Like this is a whole." another exactly. crack or split in the universe that they're just being exposed to. What a trip out. Yeah. Well, as Justin said, everyone's experience was morning of the earth surfboards. And he said, and now exactly what you're saying, I'm getting around with the film and now it's all suddenly starting to make sense to wow. them. Wow. And now there. they get to live this journey in rewind. Yeah. Back yeah, to the future. Exactly. Yeah. And then they watch Thank You Mother and they're all just kind of like flawed, you know, and, and, and suddenly looking for a better way to kind of make things happen, you know, which is, um, she, you know, that was like, thank you, Steph. You really kind of pushed, it pushed me, my business into a point that needed to come because I, ne- you know, I wasn't getting any younger and I was like, I kind of really needed to start finding a new way to build the boards and it pushed me up to a point where I could start outsourcing the laminating and that really changed my life and I was forever grateful for that. And um, But it was that legitimacy in the States that changed things and Japan but more so in the States and it just went from like zero to 10 million in like overnight. It was ridiculous. Yeah, because... You know, a lot of people wouldn't realise that it was, you know, hard graft for you for a long time. For the mm. entire time I knew you until about, I don't know, maybe five years ago, probably not even that long ago. Or maybe, well, I don't know. But for the bulk of the time that I've known you, mm. you were shaping boards in your back shed <laughs> on a fucking bush block in essentially yeah. what was bumfuck nowhere for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know trying to pay down a mortgage with Mm. two kids Mm. and living a very bare bones Mm. lifestyle. Mm. Uh, And and it it wasn't easy. And, um, mate, to to see it. Death came along. Yeah. (laughs) And Tyron. Yeah. But at the same time then suddenly people became really aware of Tyron. And so this whole thing was lifted again, you know. It was like. You know, they'd pull up the website and then they'd start watching the films on the website. And, and you know, I mean, it's Tyron and Steph is like king and queen of Morning of the Earth surfboards. It's just like, King and queen of the entire history of stylish surfers. Like they yeah. are, they basically max out the meterage. They're yeah, fucking totally. absolute dons. And then, and then um, getting back to what you're saying and then, Noah, I made Noah a 6'4", and I was like, 
kind of wanted to mess with his head a bit. I was like, I don't want him to take this board to the air. I just want to see him like fully carve on it. So I did a triple string of Fiji, a 6.4, and glass it kind of heavy. So it would have felt like pretty clunky or very clunky. And I was like, no, nah, I just want to see him do a couple of full hacks on this, which I did and it was great. Um, and that was the year that Peter Schroff won on a little funky like oh, it looked like a laser zap kind of thing no it shows that one which was pretty exciting stuff and then um i can't remember was it mason and coco the next year right yeah in mexico yeah yeah and then um um was in coco's top three and mason picked it as his favorite Oh, yeah, I mean, he got so tubed on that board. And it just test. went ka-chung again. It was like, whoa, I just felt like I was hanging on to morning the airport coattails just getting whipped along. You know? <laughs> like, it was nuts. And um, and then he wrote it in uh, Surf 100. Oh, sorry. Yes, that's uh, – oh, well, I can't right? remember. Yeah, it's all merging together. But, yeah, I can remember him on that a Mexican just point after... getting puffed out of a bunch of pits on the uh, – Yeah, on and the... they had them mic'd up. Yeah, on the like the channel bottom rounded pin. Yeah, yeah, on an agogo. Yeah, yeah, the narrow. It's like a Fiji, but it's got a narrower nose. Yeah. It's more refined, more of a short board. The, like, You've had that a uh, six one at some point. Yeah, yeah, I had uh, I had a hand me down off Toza. Yeah, from uh, yeah, that, that trip Nias to Nias. Yeah, the exact way, but yeah. And then, um, yeah, so Mason picked it that year, and then, and then, um, which was absolutely insane and then um and then he surfed it in that surf 100 comp and they have them mic'd up mm. and oh you want to hear some funny banter that is such so classic just for his banter <laughs> he's like just having the greatest time you know and he's talking to himself and just chatting away and then the banter he has with the other guys and oh yeah it was and then he won that and it was like, whoa, far out. And I think he had to he had to ride two boards throughout that that event, through that heat. It's like an hour long or something. And you've got to ride two uh, yeah, that's right, an alternate board and a short board. Mm. And so he sprinted in and Coco gave him a short board and he went out and he had one wave and so it all kind of That's right, yeah. He yeah. just maxed out the heat, like <laughs> surf for fifty nine minutes on the uh on the moat twin and then yeah. Yeah, caught one wave on the thruster just to yeah, tip yeah. the criteria box. Yeah. Genius. But that was you know, I got so much to thank Sam and everyone for that opportunity. And it's been super fun and just just such a fun thing to be involved in. Mm. And then I did that one with um with Darren this year and we did the collaboration. Yeah, talk us through that. I don't know a whole lot about yeah. that. So, well, essentially it's the same thing, the, the electric Kool-Aid acid test. But um, um, he, um, they had the idea, Sam and um, everyone had the idea of getting two shapers together, two shapers from two different worlds to collaborate, to build one board for Mick Fanning. Mm. And so we did that and that was super informative for me in a lot of ways. Um, long and short of it was, he got some super good long pits on it um, and then broke it and we didn't have a replacement board over there. 
which was kind of cool. Was this in Japan or something? No, he went to the Maldives. Is it out yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. True. Just fully missed that. And um, oh, mayhem and um, uh, oh, what's the guy's name? I can't remember his name now. Anyway, sorry, I should remember his name, but I don't. Um, they won it this year. Right. And on this little like five four or something like Sick. that. Yeah. We did a six eight, and it was kind of was based off. Um, it was kind of the, the bow was Darren's and the bottom and the, and the tail was mine. Yeah, pretty right. much. Yeah. And, um. And so you had to go up there and work in the bay with Darren or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did all that. And, um. It must have been a trip. I guess his facilities must be pretty high end. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They're still like, yeah. I mean, some factories are. Darren's. You know, he's the same age as me. Mm. So, you know, he came from the um, pirate ship days. So, you know, <laughs> there's bits of cardboard stuck up over windows and things like that. You know, <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Felt like home, you know. And, um, yeah, we had fun. Darren's classic. And we did that um, did that board and um, actually wanted to – I'd like to do them as a – we're going to do them – do a build out a page on the website and have that board on there as well. Man, it's um, an unbreakable version of it. <laughs> yeah. And finally, man, uh, the trip to South Africa to J Bay for Thank You Mother, uh, mate. Talk us through that journey. That must have been a, a real peak experience of your shaping career. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was. I was. Um... So it's basically you, Torin Dash. Yeah. Ryan from Needs, Ishkar. Yeah, Ryan didn't come over. Um, yeah, it was Torin and Ishkar and Dash and myself. Yeah. And we had a we had a townhouse on um set Dagama or something, the road there right on the front. Yeah. And we were staying sort of just down from the keyhole a bit and we were there for about a month just after the Woozle had left. Yep. And it pretty well pumped the whole month. That's insane. Yeah. That's so crazy. And it was um, a really incredible trip. Dash was 14, but he was about six foot one or something at the time. Right. Now he's about a 6'11". 6'5". Yeah. He's so <laughs> yeah, big. And then um, I remember when we got there, there was um, – um, oh, a bunch of crew from Ulladulla were there as well. Oh, Marshy. Yeah. Ellie and, Marsh. Um, oh, my God. I and Brett Bircher. Brett Bircher. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. A bunch of those guys and they were staying up near uh, the keyhole and or the jump off, um, not the keyhole where you come in. We were sort of down that way. But anyway, um, we were there and I remember we'd been there a few days and I think it was Elliot came up to me and he goes, why didn't you tell us he was 14? Like that. And he goes, we thought he was about 18 or something like that. And Dash had been, you know, off hanging out with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was such a fun time. And, but it was, it was um, that, that footage there that we got of Torrin riding the Massive. Mm. 
in that opening scene especially was um, that was another one of those moments where all of a sudden the, um, you know, this massive spark just flies off again and away we go, you're just hanging on <laughs> because there was so much interest then in the longer channel twins. Man, yeah. Because yeah. it, it was funny. That, that board came from... Um, well, everything that I'd been shaping for Torrin was kind of six foot and under, really. Um, lots of that sort of stuff anyway. Maybe we'd branched out a little bit further than that. And then um, anyway, I had, I'd made a 7.9, I think it was. Anyway, I'll call it 7.10 uh, for Glenn Casey and he – I was really intrigued by, let me go back one step. There was a guy named Simon Murdoch who's from California. He's made of Justin's actually with the, the jet fuel and Morning of the Earth. And he was out here. He's such a hardcore character, this guy. He was on a bicycle journey around Australia, right? He had a bike with a modified pram, I think, on the back and I strapped onto the pram was like this maybe seven foot rounded pin 20 no channels mm. and um just seeing the length of it and i was like yeah wow that thing looks so good and i was really intrigued by him and his story and that sort of thing and we shared some hot chocolates up the house talking about it and um uh anyway it really got me thinking about these longer longer twins and um so I shaped this 710 and I wrote it myself and I was like, whoa, there's something really in this. I gave it to Glenn Casey because he was going to South Australia, which probably wasn't the best place to take a 71020, but anyway, thinking of monuments and that. But um, it stayed on the roof of the car for like the whole month or two, came back, grabbed it back, gave it to Torrent. About 24 hours later, I get this phone call from Torrin. It's just about just ecstatic about what he was feeling back from this board. And that was the beginning of that whole journey up in those longer twins. Um, and just how sort of expansive that was for Torrin. Well, I can't think of more high-performance style surfing that's been done on a board of that Length and length. thickness ever, mm. and watching that opening sequence in Thank You Mother at six to eight foot supers, yeah, J Bay there was as exhilarated as I can ever remember being by a surf film and a sequence of surfing. Like he's mm. going fucking warp speed, yeah, yeah, on the biggest boards I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. that are able to turn on a dime. He's doing the craziest, flowiest, most flared-out yeah. cutbacks yeah, on eh? huge bowls. And it, it's super current-esque in the lines he's drawing mm. and, and the speed and flow yeah. he's able to generate. But, I mean, it, it really does hark back to the OG morning of the earth just mm. on, on the simplicity of the surfing. That's uh, right. You know, yeah. Really classical lines done with incredible speed and yeah. flow and style. Holy shit, man. That was such a moment for me and I, I can only imagine what it was like being there in the flesh and, and seeing oh. a guy like Tyron put one of your creations through well, spaces. I was thinking of this the other morning. That's the thing. Like a lot of that footage is slowed down 
to see him do that at the speed that he does it is another whole thing altogether. Like we just surfed Broken Point on Monday morning and saw him go through a few like warp speed moments and he's just going that much quicker than everyone else, like incredible. And when he does those big top turns, big cut downs, right back down into that apex near the foam and then huge back up. He's going so quick, like when you're watching it in the flesh. Wow, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I love that film. I love the narration from Albie. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, as a sign-off to this episode, I might just leave our listeners with a, a couple of pearls of wisdom from the great guru, Albie Falzon. The mothership. Yes, as promised, here's a grainy, bootlegged piece of wisdom from the great oracle, Albie Falzon, courtesy of Thank You Mother, the aforementioned mind-melting surf film featuring the great Tyron Martin. It's really simple, your life. We complicate it, and it's an illusionary thing because, you know, we're, all, we're programmed to think that if we've got a bigger car or if we've got more money or if we achieve this or that or whatever then we're going to be successful. But what does that give you? It's all those things that are, that are materialistic don't make your life happier. They can actually be a great hindrance for a lot of people. At the end of it, it gets back to really simplifying the things that are important, that everyone can understand and get from it at that moment. Because that's all you've got. You've only got that moment in your life. It's an illusion to think you've got a future. I mean, there is one, but we don't live in it. We live in the present. And you can make changes in the present. And that's pretty much as simple as your life's going to get. But it's really effective because you can see an instant result. Just got to look at it with a big smile from you to you.